You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Um, everyone at home or in the patio, we're so glad that you're here. So Ron is at Red Hills Foursquare Church this morning. Their pastor is taking a sabbatical, and so Ron is filling in for him this morning, and he sends his greetings to you, so that's where he's at. On Tuesday morning and Wednesday night, when we have our women's soap Bible study, I lead that group. So if you want to come, I would love to have you there. So uh, that's what's happening through the summer with women's ministry. This morning, we are going to land in Luke 19, but I'm going to give you a summary of Luke 18, because it's, a, it's, a, it's really a divine setup for what God, for what Jesus is going to do when he goes into Jericho, and so I want to give you a little bit of what's happening in a summary of Luke 18. So, first of all, Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He was a genius in his ability to tell stories and parables that touch us, that teach us, that bring logic and understanding for a response. And so, in Luke 18, he tells a couple parables, he tells a couple stories, and they really are a divine setup for the, his encounter in Luke 19. So the first parable is the parable of a persistent widow who goes to a judge because she has been harmed and she wants justice. And the judge is godless He's mean, he doesn't want to be bothered by her, but she keeps going back, and she keeps going back, and keeps going back to him. And he's irritated, and he's tired of her, and he doesn't want to see her anymore. But because of her persistence, he throws up his hands and says, okay, she's driving me crazy, and I'm going to see that she gets justice. Your desire to be whole, body, soul, or spirit, Be persistent, because we have a judge that listens to us, who's kind. We come to God, a perfect judge, with perfect character. We come to a judge who knows us. We have an advocate in Jesus who will plead our case before the judge. And we have the right of constant access And he has a personal interest in our case. So Jesus says in this parable, be like her. Be persistent. Jesus is for everyone. The second parable is about two men praying in the temple. One is a proud, self-righteous man who prays aloud so everyone in earshot can hear him. And he talks to God. He prays. He says, "Uh, I'm so great. You should be so happy with me because I'm not like the other people. And when he said the other people, he was talking about the broken, the crooked, the lost, the outcast, the desperate. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that guy over there. 
And the man that he was pointing at was a tax collector. He stands away, the man, the tax collector stands away. He's humble. He comes before God. And he says, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Two men in the temple. Jesus said, the proud will be humbled and the humbled will be honored. Be like him. Be like the man who humbled himself. It goes on in chapter 18. Jesus uses children as an example of humility and faith. It's about parents who want to bring their children to Jesus. And the disciples are saying, don't, don't, don't bother Jesus with your kids. Let them be. But Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Be humble as a child. Have faith like a child. And then it goes on and it talks about a a rich young man that comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what should I do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus answers him, but I want you to understand who this man is. He's educated. He's educated in the synagogue. He's a successful businessman. And Jesus asks him, or says to him, do you keep the commandments? And this man, because he's been raised in the synagogue, he says, yeah, I keep all the commandments. I've followed them since I was a child. Then Jesus says something to him, and I want you to understand this. This is a specific word for a specific person. He knows this man. He knows his Achilles heel. And he says, you, la- you still lack one thing. He said, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, we could make a mistake here and think that this is the general command for everyone, but it's not. Again, he knows who we are. He knows what we need. In order to follow him, he knows what is standing in the way. And this man, whose riches were clearly an obstacle to his relationship with Jesus, had to be addressed. So God will challenge us. He will require each of us to give something up for the sake of following him. In 18, there's a point where he gathers his disciples together. And he says, we're on the way to Jerusalem. And all the predictions of the ancient prophets prophets that you have heard about me are going to come true. And those predictions, those prophetic words, was about Jesus going to the cross. But at this point, the disciples really didn't understand And they failed to grasp what was going to happen. So, the last story that Jesus is telling in Matthew is he's approaching Jericho. And there's a blind beggar. And he's sitting beside the road. And this blind beggar heard that Jesus was coming. He heard the noise of the crowd And he asked what was happening, and they said, well, Jesus is going to pass by here any minute. And so the blind baker started shouting. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
But the crowd said, be quiet. They didn't want him yelling. They didn't want Jesus bothered by this blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Jesus, a man of compassion. Jesus, a man who gave this blind beggar dignity. He didn't presume what the man needed. I mean, it was maybe obvious. It would be obvious to Jesus as it is obvious to us that he's blind. But he asked him, what can I do for you? He let the man speak for himself. And in this text, the ancient Greek word for shout loud, he shouted loud, is what you would expect, an ordinary shout to attract attention. But the Greek word for shouting louder is is an instinctive cry of ungovernable emotion, a scream, I need you. He was desperate, and he knew the answer to his desperation was passing by. Jesus was not going to miss him. Jesus for everyone. Be like the persistent widow. Pray like the humble tax collector. Be humble as children. Be ready to be challenged and give up anything that hinders you from following Jesus. And shout loud and shout louder because Jesus wants to touch you. So we get to Luke 19. And we get to a story that's very familiar, especially if you've been raised in Sunday school. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you may think you know everything about Zacchaeus because, after all, we learned this in Sunday school. The song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. If you know it, you can say it. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Then one day, Jesus passed his way and looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming to your house today. Now, I think there's much more to the story than that. And we think we might know everything that there is about Zacchaeus, just like we might know everything that happened to the itsy-bitsy spider who crawled up the water spout. (laughs) But there is more to the story. What does this story reveal about the heart of God that others reject? We really do serve a Jesus for everyone. So let me read Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. 
I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He was gone. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to your, this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Well, by this time in Jesus' life, he had become very well-known. He was very popular. And so people swarmed the streets to see Jesus. And Jericho in this time was a very prosperous city. It had a great palm forest. It was world famous for the balsam groves that perfumed the air. Gardens of roses in Jericho were known around the region. The Romans exported its dates and balsam worldwide. So Jericho was a major prosperous trading trading hub in the community. In that region, Jericho was a desirable place to live. Scholars compare it to something like Las Vegas, an oasis in the desert. And so the Roman government, though, they were sovereign over that city. And the collection of taxes that were required for, for the Roman government were put up for bid, which means that there was a tax that the Roman government expected to be paid. But they took everyone's taxes, and they, if you had the ability, you could bid for them, and you could be the tax collector. You had to give the Roman government their share, but you could add any amount for yourself. So tax collectors were corrupt. They, cha- they charged way more than was fair. So Zacchaeus was a tax man, and he was very rich. He wasn't just a tax man. He was a chief tax collector, which meant that he was the head of the local taxation. So he probably got a little bit from everybody else who charged more than they should have. So Zacchaeus was very, very rich, and he was a Jew, He knocked on his Jewish brother's doors and demanded absorbent taxes for the Romans who were keeping the Jews in subject under the Roman Empire. You can just imagine that did not go over well with his other Jewish brothers. He had no friends. He was an outcast to his own people. But word was out. Jesus was coming through town. There was, that was a big deal, and Zacchaeus was short. And according to the skeletal remains of those living in that day, the average man was 5'5". Five five. So that would be great in our family. We would be tall now. So Zacchaeus was probably five feet or under. So imagine him about the size of Danny DeVito 
and he was a short man. And there was a sycamore tree that was providentially uh, planted, and Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Now, back in that day, this would not have been cute. As a matter of fact, it gave those who hated him, and there were a lot of people who hated him, more reason to ridicule him, to hate him, to laugh at him, to make fun of him. And I get this. I get it. I really do. If I'm going to be honest, I get it. This guy was getting rich by exploiting them, his own countrymen. So as he's going through the crowd, I can just imagine. I mean, people were trying to keep him back. They may have kicked him. You know, they're going to do anything they, you know, they, they have a lot of contempt towards this guy. And, you, and if we're going to be honest, we can, we can relate to that, to experience how we might feel about a person or an individual when they have purposely exploited us. And there's people that we simply don't like. And he was a person that people really didn't like. And I know that we're Christians, and we're here, and we don't like to be... I'm going to just tell you what I think. I know that for me that I'm not as holy as I should be all the time. And there are people that I have to work through. And so this was a man that people did not like. Zacchaeus, he looked like a fool in other people's eyes. He was, it was a humble, humility, humiliating act to climb a sycamore tree. He climbed the tree like a little boy, And without knowing, he fulfilled Jesus' words that unless you become like a child, you will not see the kingdom of God. In Matthew 18, 3, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest? And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes... The lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what? Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. He put him in a, himself in a humiliating situation in order to see Jesus. The point is, if you want to get close to Jesus, you have to ignore what others think about you. Be tenacious like the persistent widow. Be humble like a child. So Zacchaeus is in a tree, and Jesus initiates contact first. Jesus started by calling Zacchaeus by name. Jesus knew the importance of a person's name. This may have been the first time Zacchaeus heard his name called by someone besides his mother in a kind way. Now, this might tell a little bit about your theology or reveal a little bit about your theology growing up as a child and what you may have been taught in Sunday school. And I really had to, you know, I had to say, yeah, this was, this was a little bit of our theology. And um, in that, when we came to the part of the song, Zacchaeus, you come down It was always like we pointed our finger and we sternly said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. 
but I have a feeling that my theology is wrong. I can hear Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house. Saying his name made all the difference. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I know you. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Zacchaeus was told to come down. He wasn't asked to come up in order to be accepted. Jesus didn't say, we can be friends, but first you have to give half of your wealth away before we can go any further. And you, may, you have to make everything right that you did wrong, and then we can be friends. No. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house. Zacchaeus quickly came down, and he was excited. But when the crowd saw it, they complained, and they muttered, and they said, He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. In the message, it says, What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Jesus had gone too far. You know what? Judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. The Pharisees were always looking for an angle with Jesus. In Matthew 9, it says, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teachers eat with such scum? And then it goes on and it says, I tell you the truth in Matthew 21, crooks and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. John's entire ministry, John the Baptist's entire ministry was, there he is, there he is, make the way clear. Let's not put up roadblocks, let's not bar the way for a people to get to Jesus. John's entire ministry is, there he is, Jesus for everyone. There is a richness to God's kindness. In Romans 2.4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness leads us to repentance and not the other way around. Your repentance does not lead Jesus to be kind to you. He loves you. But this is not just wonky theology. Like anything goes, Jesus is great with everything, he's kind. Romans says he does this. Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins so you can't remain the same and you don't want to? Jesus is loving. He's kind. He made a way for you. But first, we have to make a way for people to see Jesus. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and we don't know exactly what happened, the order of events that went on. They ate lunch, but did they eat first? But we do know this. Zacchaeus happily received Jesus. Zacchaeus received Jesus. 
Jesus himself. He received Jesus without delay. Zacchaeus received Jesus into his life and in his home. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. Zacchaeus received Jesus despite what others say or think. He received Jesus with repentance and restitution. The word says that Zacchaeus stood and said, I am giving half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've overcharged people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. What was required by the law in this day is if you defrauded somebody, if you took something, you stole something, or you borrowed something and it broke, or you lost it, there was restitution. You had to pay, but it was only one-fifth. So say something was $100, then you would give them $120 back. That was the fair restitution in that day. But Zacchaeus said, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Zacchaeus offered to do as much and even more than the law demanded. The promise to make restitution to anyone, he said, was remarkable because he was very rich and he did wrong to a lot of people. Grace, though, changes everything. Zacchaeus was courageous. He had tenacity. He had an urgency for more of Jesus, which meant that his repentance, he wanted to make amends and to give back, and he acknowledges his sin. It was like, I owe people. Something is broken that needs to be repaired in relationships, and I need to take care of it. His restitution made a way for him to move forward in freedom. All of us, when we come to know Jesus, there are steps towards our personal freedom. It doesn't make us less saved if we don't take those steps immediately, but it keeps us from growing. It keeps us from the blessing that Jesus has for us. And those steps, I mean, they're growing pains. They're painful at times, what he's asking us to do. But as we walk forward in obedience, you experience this exponential growth in your life. So, for instance... If you can imagine this community and Zacchaeus, as they know him, he comes to know Jesus, he, he confesses, he says what he's going to do as far as paying people back, making restitution, giving to the poor. But, you know, people in this community are still extremely suspicious of him, as, you know, maybe they ought to be. And you see him, you might see him coming to your house and you're with your family and you're like, kids, hide, turn off the lights. He's going to, he's, we don't want him to know we're home. So Zacchaeus comes to your house and he knocks on the door. He's like, shh, don't say anything, we're not home. (laughs) And then you see Zacchaeus, he leaves a bag on your porch. And you discover a note with it. And it says, I've taken a hundred more than I should have, and I'm giving back 400. And you're going, oh my gosh, Jesus changes lives. <laughs> <laughs> 
Zacchaeus' life was changed. Zacchaeus' confession and repentance broke generational strongholds in his home. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It broke generational strongholds in Zacchaeus' home. Genesis 17.7 says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Zacchaeus was hated by his fellow Jews. They probably often said that he wasn't a real Jew. Jesus wanted everyone to know that Zacchaeus really was the son of Abraham, both by genetics and by faith. Zacchaeus received Jesus, and there was, an, there was evidence of a changed life. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Later on in Zacchaeus' life, historians say that he followed Peter, who appointed him as bishop of Caesarea, where he faithfully served the people, served and preached the gospel, and he died peacefully, a life well lived. Jesus never allowed culture to control what he did. Never once did Jesus give in to the anxiety or the angst of the people around him. Jesus lived in this divine resolve. The crowd would say to him, we want to make you king. It's like, nah. Feed us some more, Jesus. I'm good. Your words are very hard. Okay. But he's a rich young ruler. Send him away. I love him, but he's just not in. He had a divine resolve. He knew what needed to be done. He knew who he was. Just as we need that divine resolve in our life. And we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to know Jesus, and then every day we need to ask, Holy Spirit, come, help me to have that divine resolve. So I'm not tempted to be um, controlled by the culture, by opinions, by the media, by my own anxiety. This d divine resolve comes by walking daily inviting the Holy Spirit into our life daily. On the cross, being crucified, this divine resolve, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was always other-centered. So, the things I love about the story of Zacchaeus. One, in a crowd, Jesus sees you. Two, if you're looking for Jesus... You will find him. 
And three is God's plan supersede any other plans. People's plans, society's plans, the enemy's plans. Anything that keeps you from seeing Jesus, his plans supersede those plans. So today, we're going to have communion now. This sacrament is, a clear, is the clearest reminder of the lengths that Jesus took to make a way for everyone. So if you, wouldn't, if you would take your container out, and on top is the wafer, and take the wafer out, it says, um, well, first of all, he gave his body, he shed his blood, so that our body, our soul, and our spirit could be whole through him. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Whoops. So take your little wafer, and would you just ceremonially break it? Because he broke his body in order for our broken body, soul, spirit, mind could be whole. He did this for us. So let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's take the cup. The entire account of Zacchaeus gives us a remarkable who, what, where, when, why, and how of how to receive Jesus. This want to see Jesus. This willingness to do what might not be comfortable and seen appropriate by other people. Jesus sees you. He wants to know you. He knows you by name. And how to receive Jesus? Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be whole. I want to be stronger. I want to walk with you and grow. This morning, we're going to invite the prayer team. So if you've been asked to be part of that, you could make your way to the front, and that would be awesome. And I hope somebody's here who was asked to do that. So if you're here, that's great. Thank you. Is there another team that could go forward, maybe on this side? Um, all right. I'm going to go over there. And I'll grab somebody <laughs> to pray with me. Lisa, would you pray with me? Okay. And this is just a time. 
It's a necessary time. It's an important time. It's a pointed time to just say, you know, maybe I'm a Zacchaeus and my heart's not right and I want to make it right with God. I've never known Jesus and I want to know Jesus. It might be that you're thinking, gosh, I'm more like the people in the crowd who's keeping people away or making the road really hard for people to get to know Jesus by, because of my own ideas of what it takes or what they should or shouldn't do. But whatever it is, if you need touch, you need healed, you need, you need support, that's what the prayer team's for. So please come forward and um, pray. Let us pray for you this morning. So as we worship, we'll do that. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.